The shepherd's job is to guard the sheep. Sheep cost something, amen? Sheep have to be, have, have, the, the, if, if you didn't have to purchase them, maybe you inherited them. They still got to be fed. They, they still got to be cared for. They still got to be put up in the storm. Uh, they still got to be shepherds hired to, to watch over them and walk with them, uh, amen? The shepherd's job uh, is to guard the sheep, uh, amen? I want you to understand something. There's one uh, who watches over you, uh, who never sleeps, uh, he never slumbers. Uh, nothing ever takes him by surprise. Uh, you don't ever come into a storm uh, that God says, you know what? I didn't see that one coming. Uh, you don't ever encounter an obstacle that God backs up and says, uh, I haven't already made a way through it. Uh, but everything that comes into your life, the shepherd of your soul, he has prepared you. He has guided you. He has ordered your footsteps. He has a plan and a purpose for you. Amen. Amen. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 and 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Aren't you thankful you know who you believe in? I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Amen. When you put yourself in his hands, amen, when you walk with him, when you follow after him, when you heed his voice, amen, when you let him be the shepherd of your life, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. Storms will come. Trials will happen. Circumstances are going to rise up against you. Enemies are going to assail you, but you have nothing to fear because there is a shepherd uh, that watches over you. Uh, there is a shepherd uh, that's able to keep uh, that which is entrusted uh, into his hands. Amen? Amen? He is that shepherd, and there is none better. The psalmist said in the 23rd Psalm, and Probably many of you can quote these words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. The Lord is my shepherd. He takes care of me. He provides for me. He may lead me through some valleys. Uh, amen. I may even walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, but his rod uh, and his staff, uh, they're with me. Uh, and he comforts me. Uh, and he protects me. Uh, and he watches over me. Uh, he may take me through some difficult places. Uh, but he always makes sure uh, that at the end of the day, uh, I'm lying down in green pastures uh, beside still waters uh, because he watches over me. He's my rest. He's my refreshing. In the middle of my storm, uh, amen, he's the table that is prepared in the midst of mine enemies. Uh, he's the well that springs up uh, in the middle of the dry valley. Uh, and as long as I heed his voice uh, and as long as I follow his guidance for my life, he's going to take care of me. He's going to watch over me. Now, there's plenty of trouble for a sheep to get into. But to get into trouble, the sheep has to ignore the shepherd. A lot of things can go wrong out in the wild. 
But the sheep heeds the voice of the shepherd and walks where the shepherd tells him to walk, stays with the flock or the herd. Amen. That shepherd's going to watch over the sheep. And the sheep doesn't have to worry about anything. His next meal is going to be provided by the shepherd. Shelter in the storm is going to be provided by the shelter. Still waters to drink from uh, the shepherd to provide for the sheep. Uh, amen. But the sheep can get into trouble. There is an enemy. There is a adversary that seeks to destroy the sheep. Sheep are at the bottom of the food chain. You know that. They live in a world where they're surrounded by predators. Uh, everything else that is above them in the food chain sees them as a food source. Amen? Lions and bears, wolves and wild dogs. Given their chance, they would destroy the sheep. Given the opportunity, they would tear it limb for limb. Uh, amen. If the sheep wanders off uh, away from the shepherd, uh, amen, gets away from the safety and the refuge, uh, there is an enemy that is stalking him uh, in the rocks and the dry valleys. Uh, there's an enemy that's crouching, uh, waiting for the chance to spring out uh, and destroy the sheep. Amen. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, uh, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, uh, walketh about, uh, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, this isn't a message to the world. Uh, this is a message to the church. Uh, he said, be careful, uh, be watchful, uh, because you have an enemy of your soul uh, that would seek to destroy you, and he's roaring, uh, and he's walking about, uh, and he's looking for his next easy meal I know it's not news but we have an enemy that seeks to destroy our faith he is a roaring lion that paces to and fro searching for his prey he is a hunter and he never rests he is a predator and he's always on the prowl. He's always seeking his next victim. Peter characterizes him as a roaring lion. That's kind of interesting because a lion roars to instill fear. It immobilizes its victims with absolute terror. The shock of that roar brings fear into the heart of a gazelle or a lamb uh, and it doesn't know where to turn and it doesn't know what to do and in that moment of indecision uh, that lion strikes uh, amen you have an enemy uh, who operates in the same way uh, amen that's the way he works uh, he will try to paralyze you with fear uh, he'll try to paralyze you with doubt uh, he'll try to come against you uh, and assail your faith in God uh, and he strikes you whenever you you're in that moment of indecision uh, when you're not sure where you're going to turn, uh, where you're not sure where your help is coming from. Uh, amen. And there he fills your ears uh, with lies uh, and he reminds you of what you used to be. Uh, and he reminds you of every mistake you've ever made. Uh, and he reminds you of your past uh, and your failures. Uh, and he tells you you're not good enough. Uh, you've gone too far. Uh, 
You've done too much. Amen. God is tired of messing with you. You've done blew your last chance. And he tells you that there is no hope for you. The word devil means slanderer or accuser. That's why the John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 2 and 10 referred to him as the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God both day and night. I want you to understand there's an old roaring lion uh, pacing the hills of this life uh, that wants to remind you of what you once were uh, because he wants to destroy you. He wants to drag your tattered past out uh, and wave it in front of you uh, and tell you you're a failure uh, and tell you you've messed up too many times. Uh, he wants to remind you of every broken promise, uh, of every time you said you were going to build an altar and, you, and your prayer life lasted a week or a month and then it faded by the wayside. He wants to remind you of every time you said, I'm going to read the Bible this year. I'm going to get it all the way through. But time and circumstance happened and it fell by the wayside. And he comes and he reminds you of the bad decision that you made, of the bad choice that you were a part of, of the situation that you found yourself in. And he tells you your failure is final. You have to be what you've always been. He roars into your life. The reason that he strives to keep your past before you is because he wants nothing more than to lead you back into bondage. He wants nothing more than to take you back to the thing that you've been delivered from. Those are the tactics of an oppressor. Amen. He tells you you're not good enough. He tells you you don't deserve any better than this. He tells you this is who you are. These chains are all you should expect out of life. This is all you're ever going to be. He laughs at you and he mocks you and he reminds you of your failures and your mistakes. But I come to tell somebody in this house uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, the devil is a liar and the father of it uh, and the truth is not in him. Amen. The reason he keeps lying to you is because he wants you to go back to what you've been delivered from. So he accuses you of being what you no longer are. And you need to tell him he's a liar. Because the scripture said, he that the Son has set free is free indeed. Uh, amen. John chapter 8 and verse 36. That the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Uh, some of you need to remind uh, that old slew-footed devil, uh, I'm not what I used to be, uh, but th or I'm not what I want to be, uh, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Uh, amen. I haven't reached uh, the place I'm growing towards, uh, but I'm not where I was. Uh, amen. You can remind me of my past, uh, but the that's all that it is because grace has flown into my life. The mercy of God has flooded my heart. Amen. I've been to an altar and I've repented under the grace of God and his blood has covered me. The devil is a liar and his goal is to devour you. He wants to annihilate you. 
He wants to destroy you. He wants to drag you back into the shackles uh, that you came out of. That's why Peter said you got to be careful. You got to be weary. Uh, you got to be vigilant. Uh, you got to always be on the guard uh, because he's never going to stop pursuing you. Uh, he's never going to stop chasing you. He's never going to stop trying to bring you down. Uh, he will not rest until he has destroyed you. It doesn't matter to him that you come to church because he understands. Honey, it ain't over till it's over. And each and every day, with the rising of the sun, that old lion believes this may be the day when I finally destroy him. This may be the day when I finally break his faith. That's his goal. That's why Peter warns us to be vigilant. Because if we let our guard down, the enemy of our soul may take us unawares. And because one thing will never, ever change, there is a lion that seeks to destroy you. There is a predator. There is an adversary. There is an enemy. There was an old saying that used to appear on a motivational poster back in the 90s. You may have seen it. It says that every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up, and it knows that it must run faster than the fastest lion, or it will be killed. And every morning, a lion wakes up, and it knows that it must outrun the slowest gazelle, or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you're the lion or the gazelle, the little phrase says when the sun comes up you better be running amen there's a certain law of the wild there's a certain law of nature amen there's an enemy that is pursuing you there's an enemy that wants to destroy you there's an enemy that wants to come against you the striking thing about the lion metaphor is that it is a daily struggle i'm just going to break it to you your enemy's not waiting. He, he's not just going to attack you on Sunday. He doesn't wait for the time that you're at church to do battle with you. Amen. He doesn't wait for Wednesday night and Bible study to assault your mind. Uh, he is your daily foe. Uh, he is your daily enemy. That's why you need a daily devotion. Uh, that's why you need a daily prayer time. Uh, that's why you need to read this word uh, every day of your life. There's life in this word. Uh, there's protection in this word. Uh, there's blessing in this word. Uh, Amen. That's why you had to have a, a daily relationship with him uh, because every day you've got to escape the wiles of your enemy. Every day you've got to escape his clutches. The real story or the real tragedy of the story that the prophet Amos tells is that the lion has already devoured the sheep. Sometimes... The enemy comes in like a flood and wreaks havoc in your life. Sometimes when you meant well, it all turns out wrong. Sometimes you ignore the urging of the shepherd. Sometimes you ignore that voice of authority speaking into your life. 
and you wander away from the from the, the, the rest of the sheep uh, and you wander out of reach uh, of the shepherd's voice uh, and you wander off into the hills uh, by yourself uh, and the lion uh, who is always watching you uh, roars with glee uh, as he gets ready to pounce on the easy prey. That's the tragedy. Sometimes the lion catches his prey. Sometimes he relentlessly tears it limb from limb. Sometimes the sheep puts itself out from underneath the umbrella of the shepherd's protection and the lion does what lions do. Sometimes life grinds us up and spits us out. The affairs and cares of this world can become more than we can bear and because in our foolish pride... We try to bear them alone. Because in our foolish pride, we think we don't need to pray to make it. Because in our foolishness, we, we think we don't need the Word of God. Or, or we're too busy. It's not that we discount the value of it. We're just too busy for it. And we break under the strain as an enemy rushes in to devour us. And when he gets done, this is what Amos tells us. When he gets done... There's very little left, just the remnant of a broken life, just the pieces of a broken home, just the fallout of a broken marriage, just the residue of a ruined reputation. Sometimes all that remains is the leftovers. That's the picture that Amos paints the lion has caught the lamb and has devoured it, and it has been utterly destroyed. It is beyond saving. There is nothing of any value left. All that remains is just two legs or a piece of an ear. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. John said in John 10 and 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is Jesus speaking. And he said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I come to tell somebody in this house on a Sunday morning, there is a good shepherd uh, who has given his life uh, for the sheep. That's why Jesus came. Uh, amen. Because God loved you so much. Uh, he loved you enough uh, to come between you uh, and your devourer. Uh, he loved you enough to come between you uh, and your adversary. Uh, he loved you enough uh, to lay down his life, uh, to humble himself, uh, even to the point of death, uh, even the death of the cross so that you can have abundant life. Here's the thing about the shepherd. The thing that constantly confounds the devil is that the shepherd sees value in the leftover pieces where others see fragments of wasted potential, where others see the leftovers of a ruined life where others see the rubble that remains behind after the strong man falls. The shepherd sees something worth dying for. 
the shepherd sees something worth fighting for. Think about it. The good shepherd didn't step between a roaring lion and a perfectly whole lamb. That's not what happened at Calvary. That's not what took place at the cross. While I was yet a sinner, he died for me. While I was in my sin, while I was broken and torn to shreds, while an enemy had come in and destroyed me, while I was in the bondage of my flesh and my sin, amen, he died for me. When I had no value, when all that remained were just a few pieces that sin didn't completely consume, he loved me enough when I was just a fragment of ruined potential to die for me. That's the miracle of the cross. He loved me while I was worthless. He loved me when I had no value. But that's what the shepherd does. When the lion comes, he recovers what is his, no matter how little is left. He lays a hold of what's left. He gets it back. Whatever has to do, however he has to fight, he fights for what is his. John 10, continuing, Jesus went on to say after saying he was the good shepherd. In verse 12, he said, But he that is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. And the hireling fleeth because he's a hireling and careth not for the sheep. But the good shepherd... He sees value in the herd. Uh, he sees value in the sheep. Uh, he sees value even in the fragments of your life because you are his sheep. The difference between the hireling and the shepherd, the good shepherd, is that you belong to him. And he sees value even in the pieces. I've got a word from heaven for somebody in this place this morning. I feel it very heavy on my heart. God wants whatever is left of your life. He doesn't measure your value based on what you've lost. He doesn't measure your value based on your past mistakes and failures. He measures you by what you can become. When others see two legs or just a piece of an ear he sees something worth redeeming he sees something worth dying for god wants what you have left he redeems the remnant the scripture tells us he gives beauty for ashes joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You may have come into this place this morning and all this left are the ashes of a ruined life. Uh, you may have come into this house this morning uh, and, and you're mourning the things that you've lost. Uh, you may have come into this house this morning uh, weighed down by a spirit uh, of heaviness, but I have a word for you uh, from the throne room of heaven. Uh, God wants uh, what you have left uh, because he can do something uh, valuable with it. Uh, he can do something something precious with it remember the thief on the cross never has there been anyone with as little left 
as that man had left. In his dying moments, at the very end of his life, he has absolutely nothing of any value to offer to God. He has no future to surrender. He has no opportunity to ever do anything good. All that he has is a past that has been completely devoured by a roaring lion. But the good shepherd loves even when there's nothing to gain. And in that moment when his eternity was hanging in the balance, when his life was coming to an end, the shepherd found value and the little that was left of the thief on the cross. Just a few precious moments, just a few breaths was all that thief had left. The world had received its portion. The world had taken all that he had. He'd spent his entire life and there was nothing really left. But the shepherd took what was left and gave him eternal life. This day, you're going to be with me in paradise. I stand against a lie of hell right now. The devil's told you God's done with you. The devil's told you you don't matter. The devil's told you you're worthless. The devil's told you you don't have anything left to offer the kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you God doesn't gauge you by what you have left. God doesn't gauge you by what you can bring. God doesn't gauge you by talent or ability or skill. God gauges you by the fact that you are his. You belong to him. And he sees value in just a little bloody piece of an ear. He sees value in just a few broken limbs, a leg here, just a little bit there. I know how this world is. I know how this life is. I know how it ruins us, how it breaks us, how it shatters us until all that is left is the broken remnants of the man or woman you used to be. But I come to tell you in this house on a Sunday morning, God loves you just like you are. He won't leave you that way. He's not going to leave you in that condition. But you better understand something. He loves you. He cares about you. He's reaching for you. He's willing to fight for you. One thing you need to know about the shepherd is that he doesn't give up easy. Even when there's only the very slightest chance of redemption. He just keeps on fighting. One thing you need to understand about the good shepherd uh, is that even when the world has devoured you, even when this life has left you with nothing but fragments, when all that is left is just a bloody piece of an ear or a pair of legs, he keeps reaching 
He keeps calling. He keeps drawing. He keeps dealing. You just can't get away from it. You just can't escape it. Uh, On your darkest night, uh, the voice of God is calling out to you. In your worst setting, uh, in the midst of your most horrible failure, there he is. The shepherd is reaching for your soul. After Peter denied the Lord three times on that crucifixion night, he ran off into the darkness with bitter tears. That night for him marked the end of a dream. Everything was ruined. Everything was destroyed. The enemy had roared and nothing was left. Just the pieces, just the fragments. He was a broken man. I'm pretty sure that after that night, when the sheep scattered because the shepherd was slain, Peter ran off into the darkness. And I'm pretty sure that he never, at that moment, he did not count himself as one of the twelve anymore. At that moment, his failure eclipsed even the calling of God on his life. And he determined that he was unworthy. I say that for a couple of reasons. First of all, he, he didn't go with the rest of the disciples. The disciples would gather in the, in the moments and hours after, David, after Jesus' death and they would gather together and they'd try to process together what's happened. They, they've all experienced this horrible, traumatic thing, but Peter is not with them. Peter goes off by himself. He separates himself. That's what the devil wants. That's what that old roaring lion wants. He, he wants you isolated. He wants you alone. He wants you cut off from the fellowship of the people of God. He wants you cut off from the support structure that stands with you. He wants you cut off from brethren and sister, and they're going to come up alongside you and say, you know what, I love you, and I'm praying for you. He wants you cut off from that voice that's going to send you a text in the morning and say, I don't know why, but God laid you on my heart this morning, and I want you to know I prayed for you today. He wants to cut you off. But you need the fellowship of believers. You need that support of the church. You need to be standing. You you weren't made to stand on your own. You weren't made to stand alone. You were made to be a part of a community of believers, a fellowship of the cross. Uh, Amen. You were made to be a part of the church. The second reason I say that Peter excluded himself from the disciples is that The angel that guarded the tomb of Jesus after the resurrection, whenever Mary Magdalene and her crew came to do their deed and try to treat the body with a proper burial, they found that he was not there. The angel told them that he had risen. And the angel told them to go tell the disciples what they'd seen, an empty tomb. And then the angel specifically mentions Peter, who is not with the rest. Mark 16 and 7 said, but go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. And there shall you see him as he said unto you. Go tell his disciples. 
He wants to meet you in Galilee. But go tell Peter too, because Peter doesn't number himself among the disciples. I want you to understand something about this shepherd. He is relentless. He's not the quitting kind. He doesn't give up easy. He just keeps on reaching for you even when you've cut yourself off from everyone and everything, even when you've separated yourself and you've isolated yourself. He is persistent. He doesn't give up. He won't surrender to defeat. He is the relentless shepherd. And until your dying breath, he will constantly be reaching for your soul. Why does the shepherd put so much value on leftover pieces? In the Bible times, this story made sense because the shepherd was usually a hireling who had been entrusted with the care of the sheep. And if a lamb wandered off and a lion killed it, the shepherd was required by law to save the remnant of the lamb. Piece of an ear, a couple of legs, whatever it is, to bring it to the owner of the lamb as evidence that the lamb really died. That way the shepherd couldn't steal lambs and, you know, one here this week and two here next week and, and go tell the guy, well, you know, a lion got it. I don't, I don't know what happened to it. The bear got it. No, he, if he lost a lamb, he had to bring back a part of the lamb to prove the lamb had died. But this, again, is the place where this word picture breaks down. We said this last week, I've said this several times, when, when the Scripture uses a, a, a principle that is, that is uh, uh, earthly to convey something that is spiritual, there always comes a place where that earthly representation breaks down. You see, the good shepherd doesn't value the remnants of your life just for the evidence of the lion's terrible deeds. After, after David said, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, he always brings me to green pastures and still waters. The, the next thing that David said in Psalm 23 and 3 is this, He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. I come to tell somebody in this place uh, on a Sunday morning, your shepherd uh, is your restorer. Uh, amen. The shepherd of your soul uh, can do something that no earthly shepherd could do. Uh, he can take two legs uh, or just a bloody piece of an ear uh, and he can make it what it used to be. He has that power that no shepherd in this world uh, ever had. Uh, he can take what, uh, what little bit is left, uh, what sin failed to consume, uh, and when he gets done with it, uh, he makes it whole. Uh, he really gives you beauty for ashes. Uh, he really gives you joy for mourning. Uh, he really gives you a garment of praise uh, for a spirit of heaviness. The prophet Joel prophesied to a nation that had been devoured by sin. He described the destruction of sin this way in Joel 1 and 4, that which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. And what the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. And what the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. This is the judgment of God. 
but it was the destruction of sin. It's the remnant of the lion's terrible attack. Sin devours everything until nothing remains. Uh, what the palmer worm misses, uh, the locust eats. Uh, and what the locust misses, uh, the canker worm eats. Uh, and what the canker worm misses, uh, the caterpillar eats. Uh, but even then, when there's nothing left, but just a few bloody pieces, uh, God's mercy is still reaching for his people. And the prophet is calling them to repentance. And he promises them that they'll turn to God. There is rest. There is restoration. There is protection. There is there's a God, a shepherd, uh, who's willing to take those little pieces, uh, amen, who has the ability to take those fragments of a life uh, and make something from them. This is the promise that God makes in Joel 2 and 25. And I will restore to you. I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, caterpillar, the palmer worm. I'm going to give it back to you. I will restore it. The years have been devoured. You can't give time back. The years are gone. But God said, I'm going to give them back. I'm going to give you back what you lost. I'm going to give you back the thing that is, you could never recover for yourself. You could never recapture again. You've lost it and it is gone from you and is beyond your reach and nothing is left but the brokenness. But Jesus said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it back to you. I'm going to restore it. If you turn your heart to me, if you come to me in repentance, if you turn back to me, I'm ready to restore and renew and make things brand new. That's why the shepherd is so relentless. That's why he keeps reaching even when there's nothing left but a bloody piece of an ear or a couple of legs because he alone can restore that which has been destroyed. He alone can make whole that which has been shattered. He alone can make something beautiful out of what is left of your life. When the devil thinks he's ruined you, when he thinks he's left you broken beyond repair, the relentless shepherd says, if you just call on me, if you just call out my name, if you just surrender yourself to me, I will restore, I will renew, I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. The Lord follows that promise of restoration with another vital promise just three verses later in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. It was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out in that upper room uh, and that amazed crowd gathered in the street uh, and said, man, the, these folks are drunk. Look how they're acting. Uh, and Peter stepped out on a balcony. And he said, men and brethren, uh, these men are not drunk uh, as you suppose. Uh, the Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, but this is that uh, which was spoken uh, 
by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. I come to tell you on a Sunday morning what happened on that cross at Calvary is that the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep, and on that day of Pentecost, he poured out his spirit, a spirit of reconciliation, a spirit of restoration, a spirit that makes whole that which was broken. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I come to tell somebody in this house on a Sunday morning, the cross is all about restoration. It's all about reconciliation. God wants the fragments of your life so much that he is willing to die for them. Would you stand with me? Ryan, if you'd come. I love the imagery of Amos chapter 3 and verse 12 because I can just envision it in my mind. That old lion, battle-scarred and proud, standing defiant over his trophy. All that is left of that poor lamb that he has overtaken are just a few bloody pieces, part of an ear, a couple of legs. He stands there in defense of his prize. He's not ever going to relinquish what he has gained. It is his, and he has won it, and he has destroyed it, and he has ruined it. And he's not done consuming it, but he plans to finish. But there standing in opposition to him is the relentless shepherd who refuses to stop fighting for what is his. There's not much left. There's really no value in that pile of bloody bones and ears. But the shepherd, he refuses to back down. He stands against that lion, stands ready to do battle. And suddenly it happens. One of them flinches, the other moves first. They, they clash together and the battle is joined and the lion roars and the shepherd charges uh, and a battle rages and it's a fight for the remnant. It's not a fight for a whole lamb. It's not a fight for somebody who's got it all right. It's a fight for somebody who's broken. It's a battle for somebody whose life is wasted. It's a fight for the remnant, for a few worthless, bloody pieces. And against all odds, you go to the zoo next time, why don't you try to take something out of a lion's mouth? But against all odds, the shepherd prevails. He reaches into the mouth of the lion and reclaims what is his. It's just a bloody piece of an ear, but it matters to him.
It's just a few broken bloody legs, but it's important to him. And even as the lion roars in defeat and frustration, the shepherd rejoices in his victory. That's the imagery of this verse. God is that relentless shepherd, and he's just not the quitting kind. Amos said, as the shepherd takes out of the mouth of the lion, two legs or a piece of an ear so shall this is the promise so shall the children of Israel be taken out you are his people you are the sheep of his pasture you belong to him and you have a promise from the throne of heaven so shall it be with you listen there is a shepherd and he is fighting for your soul right now you don't realize it you look around you and you see a beautiful building you know all the nice things that we have but i come to tell you you're standing on an ancient battlefield two familiar foes have met in this place this morning there's a roaring lion that intends to guard what he has and there's a shepherd who said, as long as there's breath in your body, I will fight for you. As long as you're drawing breath, I'm going to be reaching for you. In this house this morning, if you could see into the spiritual realm, you'd see those two old foes squaring off against one another over a small, bloody pile remains just a little bit and the shepherd has come to fight today for the restoration of your soul but here's the truth you're not just an innocent bystander in this battle you decide who the victor will be You decide which side will win. Make no mistake about it. This shepherd can beat the lion every single time. But the choice is not in his hands. He's calling. He's reaching. But it's up to you to answer the call. It's up to you to surrender to the master. So I come to ask you in this place on a Sunday morning, how will this fight end? How will this battle conclude? Will you hear his voice? I know right now, I, I, I feel that tug of the Holy Ghost. I feel that still, small voice that's whispering into somebody's life right now. I can feel it in my spirit. Will you hear the voice? Will you answer the call? Will you surrender to your master? Or will you believe the lies of hell? Will you surrender to the bondage of his chains? Will you remain the fragments and broken pieces? There's restoration here today. There's hope here today.
there's life here today. And the outcome is in your hands. It's up to you. Would you bow your head and pray with me, Lord Jesus? I feel such a heaviness of the Holy Ghost. The anointing of God is moving through this place right now. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I know right now, Lord, you're speaking into somebody's heart, into their thoughts. And I'm asking the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, let mercy reign in this house today. This is the day when mercy says no. This is the day when the grace of God is loosed. This is the day when restoration takes place. This is the day when all things are made brand new. I'm asking in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. These altars are open this morning. And I extend an invitation, not just from this pulpit, but from an ancient battlefield. Come. Come to a place to rest. Come to a place of refreshing. Come. Come to a place of restoration. Come. Come be reconciled with the Lord, your Maker. Come. Come and surrender to Him. Come and yield to Him. I have no control over the days that are behind me. I have no control over the things that are in my past. But right now I stand in control of all that is before me. And Lord, that little bit I've got left, I surrender it into your hands. I'm giving it to you right now. In Jesus' name, would you call out to him? Would you call on his name right now? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.